0: Well, good evening, church family. I thought I'd be a little closer to you this evening, instead of kind of six foot above contradiction. Uh, And uh, welcome out on a Monday evening. How good of you to come out on a Monday evening. And weren't the children terrific? They were fantastic. And uh, well done, boys and girls. That was really wonderful, and we appreciate that. Isn't the Lord wonderful? When I was a kid, growing up on a farm in what was then southern Rhodesia, a British colony, to the north of the Republic of South Africa, where we now live at the southwestern tip of Africa, in the most beautiful city in the world, Cape Town. And uh, that's a city of about five and a half million people. And uh, it is, as your preacher mentioned, the other evening a very beautiful city, Uh, many years it is voted the most picturesque city in the world and so we're very privileged to be there and to live with the mountains and the oceans on our doorstep and to live in the Constantia Valley which is a valley full of vineyards and uh, absolute beauty. And uh, so we thank the Lord for that, and for the privilege of being in his service. But when I was raised as a, as a kid in southern Rhodesia on the farm, uh, boys and girls, I could walk an entire day and not see another human being. And so the farms around us ranged from anywhere from about, and we worked in acres, so I think you'd probably understand what acres are and I was just sharing with some of the, the brothers just now that when, when we metricated, we metricated right through so distances and measures and everything is uh, like, you know, metricated but um, anyway, uh, when I was a kid uh, the average farm around us uh, in ranching area was, uh, well, 60, 70,000 acres and then my eldest brother had a hunting safari business between two game parks and uh, had clients from overseas. And he had 110,000 acres where they offered uh, 22 species of game uh, to clients that came from overseas. And uh, so I never went to Sunday school. There was no such thing where I was. And so I grew up having never heard the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But God is so good, and in my second last year at high school on the border of southern Rhodesia and what was then the Bechuanaland protectorate of Great Britain, another of their colonies that is now called Botswana, uh, God sent two teachers to our school who were Christians. I mean, who really knew and loved the Lord. And so they started a Christian union group on a Sunday afternoon. And when you're a very skinny, hungry boarder, like I was, and I had nine years of boys boarding school in the bush, and uh, I was in my Cambridge certificate year, and that was the year that you graduated, but then you could do two more years after that, to do M-levels and A-levels, and A-levels were kind of first-year bachelor's degree uh, standard. But God sent two men. One was my chemistry teacher. The other was my English teacher. And they began this Sunday afternoon Christian Union group. And they served cold drinks and cookies. And so I went for the cold drinks and the cookies. But in the process of that, I began to hear for the first time in my life the good news about Jesus. And then, in October 1958, Eric Crush and Angus Burns, who led this little Christian Union group at our school, arranged for a busload of us to travel 65 miles to the city of Bulawayo, where in the small city hall in Bulawayo, in October 1958. I was privileged to hear Dr. Billy Graham, not in person, but on the screen in a film. A film that was entitled Souls in Conflict. I don't know if any of you saw that movie, that film, but uh, that was God's instrument in allowing me to hear the gospel clearly for the first time in my life. And at the end of that film, Souls in Conflict, with my little soul in conflict and floundering on a sea of question marks, I responded to the appeal. And with a few of my friends, came down to the front of the City Hall in Bulawayo, and surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I then had two fathers. I had an earthly father, but now I had a heavenly father. And I have learned through the years, as I have sought to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that the key to spiritual health is living out the Lord's Prayer. And you know the Lord's Prayer so well It's probably more correctly called the Disciples' Prayer, but I want to take you through that very simply this evening and introduce you to that prayer as not merely a pattern for our praying, but have you realized that the Lord's Prayer is actually a pattern for our daily living as Christians? And that if we learn to live out the Lord's Prayer we will be spiritually healthy every day. So let's get into it and tonight I want to issue this challenge that God helping you, you will make a resolution tonight or perhaps it is for you a fresh resolution that you will live your life from this night on meaningfully, intelligently, and willfully as somebody who daily seeks to be spiritually healthy by living out the pattern of what the Lord has given to us in what we call the Lord's Prayer. That you would be willing to say tonight, I resolve that God helping me I will honor the name of the Lord. Because Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And to hallow the name of the Lord doesn't mean saying the Lord's prayer and simply repeating the words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What Jesus is teaching us is this is the way to live every single day of your life. To live with no higher purpose than, as it says in the first statement of the Westminster Catechism, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To hallow the name of God means to live in such a way every day That your entire motivation for living is governed by this one principle, I will honor the name of the Lord today. That means I will reverence, I will praise, I will live out all of my life day by day as an expression of my worship. All of my life lived Godward to the honor and glory of his name. What is the name of the Lord? Well, as you know, the name of the Lord expresses the character of the Lord. And God is so great that the Scripture literally has dozens of names for God. So let's just look at a few of them. He is Jehovah, Godosh. He is the Lord, our holiness. So if I'm going to really say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that means I hallow his name by living a holy life. And that means that I say no to that which is offensive to God and yes to that which will glorify God. Amen. It's not just a prayer. It's a pattern for your daily life, to awaken every morning and to say, Lord, you are my holiness. Help me through the grace and power of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit to be separated from all that would offend you today in thought and word and deed, and to be separated unto you so that I honor you in thought and word indeed. Lord, make me holy as you are holy." Sometimes we interpret holiness by the things that we don't do. That's a part of it, but the main part of holiness is the things that we do and the people that we are, and it means becoming more and more like Jesus. He is not only Yahweh Kadosh. He is also Yahweh Tsidkenu. He's the Lord our righteousness. So every day we awaken to say, "Lord, help me to live righteously because you are righteous. It's one of your names." And he is Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord our peace. And so I honor the name of the Lord when I live in such a way that the peace of God is the referee in my life. And every time my peace with God is disturbed, the referee has blown his whistle and I need to put things right with the Lord. He is the Lord, our provider. He is Yahweh Jireh. And so I honor his name when I live with Him as the source of all my life and of every good and perfect gift. You get my drift? To honor the name of the Lord is not just a word that we mouth when we say the Lord's Prayer. It means living every day to glorify Him, to honor His name, to live in such a way that I reflect his character and his being. Amen. And then, God helping me, I will submit to the reign of God, the rule of God in my life. That's what it means when I say, your kingdom come. The word kingdom in both the Old Testament and the New Testament refers primarily not to the realm over which the king reigns, but the reign of the sovereign, the rule of the king. When we read about the word of the Lord came to Ezra in the kingdom of Artaxerxes, or whatever, it means during the reign, during the rule of the king. And so when I pray every day, your kingdom come, I'm really making the resolution that God helping me, Jesus Christ, will be King, that he will be Lord of all of my life. That I will let him rule my thoughts and my words and my deeds. I will live each day to let him rule over my passions and my desires and my lusts. I will let him be Lord of my time and Lord of my talents. I will let him rule over my money and the way I spend it, save it, sacrifice it. I will seek to live each day under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord from all eternity. The question is simply, am I willing each day To submit to the reign of God in my life, and to know the joy of the kingship of Jesus being the controlling and motivating factor of my thoughts and my words and my deeds. And thirdly, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just something we say when we say the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is not just giving us a pattern for our praying here. He's giving us a pattern for our living day by day. Therefore, I resolve that God helping me, I will discover and do the will of God. In other words, God has a wonderful plan for your life. You're not an accident, nor is your being here tonight an accident. It is a divine appointment. It was part of the will of God for your life that you be here tonight so that you can hear once again Jesus saying, I have a plan for your life. Your heavenly Father has a perfect plan for your life. The Bible calls it the will of God. And so how can I pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I'm not willing to discover and do the will of God for my life every day, it's not just a prayer. It is a commitment to live in the center of the will of God for my life. How do you discover the will of the Lord? Well, here are five principles that help us to discover the will of God for our lives. Priority number one is the Bible. Amen? God reveals his will to us in his word. If you're meditating in the word of God, you can never miss the will of God. The will of God is clearly revealed in Holy Scripture. And so when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I need to be praying that God will help me to understand his will for my life, that I live on earth, that I may live it in such a way that my heavenly Father is honored Not only does God give us his word written in Holy Scripture, where every scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and for correcting and reproving and instructing us in right living so that we have all that we need to be all that God wants us to be, but God gives us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit takes the word and reveals it to us and gives us understanding of his will. Not only that, God gives us a sanctified common sense. God never asks us to do anything foolish or anything silly. And then God gives us each other. And God gives us Sunday school teachers and pastors and people who can assist us as counselors to understand the will of God for our lives. And God works the circumstances of our life very often in such a way that we can understand his will clearly by the way in which he maneuvers and controls our circumstances. So here are five of the ways in which God has so worked in his grace that every single one of us can not only pray every day this pattern That God gives to us for our prayer life, but live it out every day so that we live in the center of his will for our lives. It is his will that we obey what he reveals, and I'm sure you've realized that when God reveals, he expects us to obey. If we don't obey, he stops revealing. But we obey, He reveals. We obey. He reveals. That's how it works as we follow Jesus. The will of God is clearly revealed. And primarily it involves two things for the Christian. It means that we become more and more like Jesus as we follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple, amen? It means to be a pupil, a learner, a student of Jesus Christ. We so learn Christ day by day that we become like him. It is the will of God that you become more and more like Jesus. And so it is the will of God that you refuse anything that would detract from you becoming more and more like Jesus. And then it is clearly the will of God that you be his witness and that you share the good news about Jesus with others. I'll never forget my first efforts at sharing the good news with others. When I had heard the gospel and I left high school, my English teacher said to me, when you go to university in South Africa, I taught at a school in that city. And uh, he said to me, "Um, if you find that the cathedral is a little dry, then try the Little Baptist Church in Grahamstown. And uh, the first three months of my university situation, with nobody to help me or teach me, and nothing but a little homily coming from the cathedral pulpit, I was kind of losing my way. One foot very much in the world, and one foot kind of a little bit in the church. And I came to the decision that either there was more to Christianity than I was finding, or I needed to give it up, because I was becoming a total hypocrite. And Grahamstown is a university city, and so the cathedral is in the center. It's nicknamed the City of Saints. And that's because during the settlement era, a few centuries ago, those who were out on the battlefront needed a vice in something that they needed to fix on one of the cannons or whatever it was. And so they sent a messenger on horseback back to Grahamstown to get a vice. And the messenger was told, there is no vice in Grahamstown, Meaning, vice in a different sense. And so it became known as the City of Saints. But anyway, it was anything but when I got there. But I'll never forget the night, going down High Street, toward the cathedral and saying, this is the last time. Because there's more to Christianity than I'm getting out of it. Or otherwise, I'm giving it up. And you know, friends, it was like an audible voice. What my teacher had told me back in Rhodesia when I left school, try the Little Baptist Church. Try the Little Baptist Church. I didn't even know where it was but I found my heart beating within my chest and I left the others wandering down High Street to the cathedral and I went down the one street and down the other and and there it was the Little Baptist Church and I went in and it was like coming home and the gospel was proclaimed and I began to grow I befriended one of the students my worldly friends soon gave me up. But um, I gained some new friends who were Christians. And one was a salvationist. And I was really embarrassed as a kind of Episcopalian at that point in time. Because this guy would don his Salvation Army uniform. And then he would drag me along to the Salvation open, ar- open Air meetings on the street corner. And outside the cinemas. And they would give a few test texts out and a few choruses and then somebody would give the message. And this one time I'm there in the open air circle and here are students that I'm sharing lectures with walking past and it's just terribly embarrassing and nobody stepped forward to give the little message and I said, who's giving the message today? And they said, you are. And they pushed me forward. And that's literally how I began preaching. I looked back and I said, but I've never done this before, and what do I say? And somebody said, just tell them God loves them. And so I said, friends, God loves you. And, uh, and I used to listen to Dr. Billy Graham on the Hour of Decision, my little radio every night. And I picked up some of his phrases, and I remembered some of them. And so I preached like Billy Graham for about 10 minutes, and then I ran out. (laughs) And then about a month later, one of the girls at the Teachers' Training College alongside the university invited me to preach at the outreach meeting at the Teachers' Training College. I said, I can't do that. She said, yes, you can. I've heard you in the open-air meetings with the Salvation Army. I said, no, that's different. I can't, like, preach a sermon or a message. And she said, Yes, you can, and your subject is what is conversion? And we'll expect you at such and such a time on Saturday evening and, uh, and be there. So I was sweating like Jimmy Swaggart at the confessional. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, here I... I remember it like it was yesterday. My mother had given me a little writing pad so that I'd write home. And I had this little blue writing pad and my pen. And I put, what is conversion? And I said, oh God help me, I can't do this. And I wrote out my little message, thinking, well there'll only be two or three girls there. It'll be fine. And so, you know, I was 18 years of age. And so I go to the teacher's training college, and I nearly die of fright. Because this auditorium is full of these girls who'd come to train as teachers. And so with my knees knocking together, I shared my little message on what is conversion. And then I thought, well, Billy Graham gives an appeal at the end. So I better give an appeal. So I said, if any of you tonight want to receive Christ into your life, and you're willing to repent of your sins and to put your trust in Jesus and receive him by faith as your Savior and your Lord, then you get up from where you are right now and come down to the front. And I nearly died of fright again because about seven girls came down and stood in front of me, some of them weeping. And I led them in a prayer, just a simple prayer of commitment to the Lord. And about 20 years ago, when I hired a children's pastor to work in our church that had grown from about 200 to about 1,200, the lady that I hired as a children's pastor was the second daughter of one of those girls who in 1960 responded to the appeal in the Teachers' Training College in Grahamstown, South Africa. And she's still serving the Lord as, what I think, one of the best children's pastors in South Africa. That's the power of the gospel. It is the will of God that we become like Jesus. It is the will of God that we share the good news about Jesus. Amen. And if God can use me as a skinny little kid who doesn't know what he's doing at 18 years of age, he can use you too. Amen. And he will. You've just got to believe it and trust him. The will of God is the most satisfying thing in the world. And so when you pray day by day, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Know that it is the will of God that you become like Jesus and that you share the good news. It's not just a prayer. It's a way of life, a daily way of life. And then fourthly tonight, will you say with me, I will trust God to supply my daily needs. Give us today our daily bread What does that mean? It doesn't just mean that I say those words. It means that I recognize every day, my Lord is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider, and that he will provide every need of ours according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It's not just a prayer. It's a way of life. When God called Elaine and me into full-time ministry, I had to resign an executive position, and we had to trust the Lord for the next four years. Along with students at the Baptist Seminary in Johannesburg, 1967, we began to discover what it means to pray every day. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you know what it's like when you don't know where the next meal is going to come from and the rest of the student body are pretty well in the same boat as you are and you're collecting bottles so that you can get the deposit to buy food for the next meal? I remember when our first son, we had two daughters, and then our son Graham was born. And uh, it was Saturday evening, and I was so excited about Elaine coming home on Monday from the nursing home. But she'd had to have a caesarean section. And uh, so the bill to be paid was 125 rand. And in those days, the South African rand was worth two American dollars. And I was 35 rand short. And it was Sunday, and I went to church, and a man came up to me, and he said, I couldn't sleep last night until I had written out a check for you. And so he gave me this envelope and I couldn't wait to get home from church to see what was in it. (laughs) And, well, you've guessed it. It was a check for 35 rand. And so I was able to go and fetch my wife and the new baby. And I guess we could write a book on the last 50 years or so. On the fact that saying, give us this day our daily bread it's not just a prayer, my friends, is it? It's a pattern for daily living. That no matter what our circumstances, we recognize that God is the source of every good and perfect gift. That everything we have comes from the Lord. And so God teaches us to live in a way where we recognize every day, thank you, Lord, You will supply every need of ours according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That means that I will not worry. I will not be a victim of anxiety as Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. It means I will believe the promises of God like Philippians 4.19. And it means I will fulfill the conditions for God's supply and the conditions for God supply that every day I will be a giver. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, poured into your lap, running over. It's one of the principles of life in the kingdom of God. It means that I will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be given to me by the Lord. And then Jesus teaches us to forgive us, to pray, forgive us our sins as we also have fully and freely forgiven those who have sinned against us. So that means tonight, am I willing to live this way every day? God helping me, I resolve that every day I will live in the freedom of forgiveness. That's not always easy, is it? Because we are fallen and we live in a fallen world. And all sorts of bad things happen to good people in this world. And sometimes it's very hard to forgive. Forty years ago, we were in the thick of a bush war, a civil war, in southern Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. The first Viscount civilian aircraft that was shot down by terrorists. The pilot was a school friend of mine. The co-pilot was engaged to a niece of mine. On board was my dentist. On board was a couple that I had married just a week before, and they'd gone to Lake Kariba on the Zambezi River, the northern border of Zimbabwe, for their honeymoon, and their honeymoon was consummated in heaven because terrorists shot down that civilian aircraft and all on board. John Hood did such a good uh, job of landing that aircraft in rough terrain that everybody actually survived the crash landing. But of course everything burst into flames, and everyone in the front section of the aircraft was burned to death. But it hit a ditch as it came into land in that rough terrain, and the back portion split somewhat apart from the front section. And seventeen people survived. Among them was my dentist. Five of them went away to try and get help from an African village. The other twelve survivors stayed near the wreck. And when the five who had gone to try and get water at an African village came back to the wreck they heard AK-47 fire the terrorists were supplied by North Korea and the 12 survivors next to the wreck had been killed by terrorist fire I grew up And on the farm next door was a beautiful little girl, Diana Andrews. When I went back to Rhodesia during the Bush War years, Diana's husband was the first convert that I baptized. They went home from worship to their farm on a Sunday, had their dinner and were resting up in their home. They had, was it two little boys? And Diana was eight and a half months pregnant. And terrorists came into their homestead and shot them and killed them. Karen and Jeremy, whom I had married and who were killed in the first Viscount that was shot down in Rhodesia. She was the daughter of one of my deacons. He was the son of a missionary. During those years, one of your Southern Baptist missionaries who worked with us out at Senyati was murdered by terrorists. So when I talk about forgiveness, I know it's not always easy to forgive. And I wondered when conducting the memorial service for Karen and Jeremy, what John Bull, the missionary father, would say as he led in prayer, and his prayer was one of the freedom of forgiveness as he prayed that the perpetrators of this dastardly deed might find forgiveness and come to Christ. One of my colleagues is Roy Comrie. And if Roy Comrie were here today, he would be able to share with you how murderers have come to Christ. Why? Because they were fully and freely forgiven. Forgiveness is not easy. But it is essential. Because when we, by the grace of God, forgive, somehow the grace of God is released. Just like when Stephen was being martyred and Saul was there egging on those who were stoning Stephen to death and Stephen cried out before he died, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. And it was just a matter of time before Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, came to Christ. Jesus said before he left his disciples, breathing on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And whoever sins you forgive, they will be forgiven. And whoever sins you retain, they will be retained. Friends, If there is unforgiveness in our heart tonight, we have stopped growing spiritually at that very point. It doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what has been done to us. If there is unforgiveness, we're not spiritually healthy. We'll only be spiritually healthy when by the grace of God, We release people in the fullness and freedom of forgiveness. Amen? It's not just a prayer. It's a way of life. People say to me sometimes when I'm counseling, this is what has happened to me. This is what so-and-so has done to me. This is what that person has said to me. This is how that person has dealt with me in business. What do I do? And I say, forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive because the only way to live in a spiritually healthy state is to live in the freedom of forgiveness. Amen. Not just a prayer, It's a way of life. And then finally, therefore I will not bear grudges. I will not harbor resentment. I will not allow sin or Satan to have dominion over me. I pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What does that mean? It means Jesus is teaching us every day to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, because we're not wrestling just against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers and the world rulers of this present darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. And there's only one way to live, Jesus is saying, and that is to resolve that by the grace of God, And clothed in the armor which God has supplied, the belt of truth as it is in Jesus, the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith. Jesus is teaching us in this prayer that every single day we are to live in such a way that we share his triumph over all the power of the enemy. Amen. Not just a prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to live, how to be spiritually healthy. Therefore, I resolve that God helping me, I will slam the door on temptation and I will be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God. Every day. Have a little summary of the sermon tonight that I'm going to ask you to consider as we close this evening. It says, I resolve, God helping me, that I will honor the name of the Lord, that I will submit to the reign of God that I will discover the will of God, that I will trust God to supply my daily needs, and I will live in the freedom of forgiveness, and I will not allow Satan to have dominion over me. The Lord's Prayer is not just a pattern for prayer. It is a pattern for daily living as a Christian. Amen. and I want to challenge you as we close by singing take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee that if you're willing to make that resolution tonight or that fresh uh, resolution tonight that as we stand now and sing you'll leave your seat and if you're too shy to do that don't worry but leave your seat if you will come and get one of these why not kneel at the altar here this evening. Just read it through. Sign your name and the date. You see, it helps us to do something practical and physical very often to nail down our commitment to the Lord Jesus. And so, if you'd like to come, let's stand and sing, or otherwise come down at the end and take one of these and take it home. And as you pray tonight before you go to sleep, consider this resolution and to say, Lord, thank you for showing me tonight the Lord's prayer is not just words that I mouth day by day. It's not just a pattern for my prayer life. It is, in essence, the way to live, to be spiritually healthy. Amen. It's the key to spiritual health, to live every day the way Jesus teaches us in what we call the disciples' prayer. Shall we stand, and would you like to respond to the Lord's challenge tonight?